1: On 882 6PR. Inspiring Stories for Barra and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything.
2: Hello, my name is Tim McMillan. Welcome to another episode of Inspiring Stories brought to you by Barra and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things are everything. Got lots of uh, little moments to get through in the next uh, hour that all paint a picture of uh, someone uh, who is. Many things, a mentor, a science teacher, an educator. She loves rocks. She loves volcanoes. She's a geologist uh, and she's just a, an all-round champion. I say that uh, in, uh, in, in knowing that she's actually been awarded uh, something to, uh, to recognise that. She is the 2020 WA local hero as well as uh, many other accolades that she can now uh, store away in on her mantelpiece or in her cabinet. She is Susie Urbanack. Hello and welcome and congratulations on your most recent award, the 2020 WA Local Hero.
0: Oh, it's great to be here, Tim, and um, thank you. Yes, I'm, I'm happy to be here.
2: Local Hero. How does that sit with you?
0: Oh, well, wow. it's, <laughs> um, it's very hard to describe or put into words what this um, award actually means. Um, mm. It's about vision yep. and it's about hope and making sure that that hope for a number of our students um, actually um, does, does happen for them. You know, education is such an important, um, part of our lives and we need to make sure that all, all our kids have a Mm. wonderful education an education, which suits their capabilities and one which actually accentuates their talents and abilities for who and what they are and not something that is scripted for what they should be. It's, um, you know, we're, we're in a, um, a diverse country. We're a multicultural country, um, we are very talented in what we actually produce and we've got to make sure that that keeps going into the future with making sure that our education pathways do accommodate that diversity of um, capabilities. And for, for the 21st century, which is, as we're all aware, is very transformational mm. at this time and at this moment. So we are moving away. It's, I, I, I use the analogy of the horse and cart, mm. which happened last century. You know, it wasn't too long, I think it was about 7 to 10 years that the horse lost its kudos and the automobile came Mm. into it and we're in that transformational phase now, which I think is going to happen through the 2020s. And to ensure that 2030 and beyond is um, what's needed for our our culture, we need to make sure that our education keeps in line with with that transformation.
2: So you're saying that the the, the education system currently is is the horse and it's been left behind. Yeah, and and the world industry everything is, yeah. is, is the cut or is the
0: yeah. Our kids are clever. Our kids are actually in tune with what's 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 happening, and we need to make sure that um, that is allowed within the within the so-called um, classroom space. Yeah, and um, we work with them. We don't control them, and I, I I think they are very technologically apt, and we need to make sure that 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 continues to to flourish in line yep. with where our industries are actually yep. going and what what they're actually doing. You know, there's nothing wrong with the three R's, you know, you still you still need that. But in terms of the the way that learning is occurring, it needs to be where their social and emotional enterprising skills are at the forefront. It's not about knowledge. They mm. know how to seek the knowledge. They know how to find the knowledge. And they find the knowledge according to to what they're doing, mm. and I, and that's the that's the flip of what the traditional system's all yeah. about. It's and I've seen it with my own eyes. Um, even just recently up in Tom Price, where um, we're we're working with um, Tom Price Senior High School at the moment. This this student that um, a young man, um, year seven, that wouldn't even write two lines, but um, at the beginning of last year, but now at the end of last year, he was writing. Two, two and a half pages, but that was based on the fact that there was something that sparked an interest Yeah, and electromagnets, and that drove him.
2: So electromagnets sparked. was the spark.
0: Yeah. The, the, <laughs> the, he basically, him and his um, business unit, we call them yeah. business units in the core learning model, um, had to develop a separating, industrial separating machine to mine iron ore on an extraterrestrial planet. And so he was given the um, task of actually researching that, and he started researching on electromagnets, and that just mm. that just drove him, absolutely drove him, and to excel. So, it's the opposite. If you teach electromagnets in a as um, conceptual knowledge, yep. that doesn't spark mm. interest. But when kids are actually working with their hands and actually are given the responsibility to go and seek. Mm a different spin on it and they start to realise that um they've got interests mm. and when they have interests they are then driven. So that you know there's that's a difference with intrinsic motivation. Mm. Um when you've you provide that array of activities or or, or knowledge and the kids will hone in on, on what they, yeah. they actually like. Yeah. And this is the, the basis to the core learning model. Mm. You know his teammate was, um, or is a young lady, and you know she, um, after this particular um, PBL we call it, um, she was, um, she now wants to be an electrician. She had no idea because she spent time with him putting together the, the circuits for this electromagnet that was going to separate iron from the rubbish, and, um, and I said, well, you know, you think think a bit higher, become an electrical engineer. Yeah. And she would have had no idea. She said she had no idea what, what this was all about. But given the chance, the hands-on, the soldiering and the, and the artistry behind that really um, yeah. inspired her to yeah. – and this is year seven. It just
2: took that little spark. Yep. yep.
0: And, you know, science is not textbooks. Science is not worksheets. And science is doing. And um, to actually spark that wonderment and curiosity about the world around you, Is so important, you know. You're crying out for STEM, but you know these kids need to be within the world that they live, and they have to understand the world that they live in. Mm. And when that actually um, starts happening, um, you you are going to get this so-called STEM workforce of the future.
2: I think most people have those teachers. Maybe one, only one, sadly, Mm. possibly none. I think I've got maybe one or two that I remember. Who were those out of the box teachers, and and you do remember them because they make such an impression on you. Um, that's not a lot, really, when you think about all the teachers you have over twelve or so years of schooling. But they're that one person that that did grab you and give you that spark and set you on a path, perhaps to you know what you might be doing later on in your adult life. Are you that? teacher? Do you, do you aspire to be that teacher for totally. as many kids as you can be?
0: Yes. And, and that's about being in tune with, with um, the cohort that you have mm. and acknowledge the fact that they're all different and make them aware that what they are doing is good enough for who mm. and what they are. And as long as they're succeeding in their own minds, that's what matters. And it's yep. not a number and mm. it's and it's not a grade. It, you know that's inconsequential in the real world. Yeah. You know my my alumni come back and tell me. You know why did I stress in Year Twelve? Yeah. Because it means nothing after that. Yeah. It means nothing. Um. What What matters is the volunteer work that you do and the other other paid work that you do as as you are a young adult because that's what's looked at. and that's the development of those social emotional skills. But definitely, um, it, it, it is about that. It's being there to to mentor. And to the point, mentor, coach, and sponsor. And that's what I do with a lot of my alumni. I sponsor them. Like I get um, on Messenger, Susie or Erby, they call me. (laughs) Erby, I need some help. You know, can I catch up with you? Yeah. And and obviously, it is about uh, sponsoring and um, helping them um, navigate that pathway beyond their secondary. Yeah secondary education, that's more important than actually what happens mm. between year seven and year 12.
2: I know you, you grew up in the East, in, in Melbourne. Mm-hmm. Who was that teacher for you? There was two. Yeah?
0: There was two. Um, oh, gosh. Adana, Jana, Lana, Lana Simmons, Miss, Mrs. Simons. Yeah. And Mrs. Selberg. Were they Um,
2: primary school, high school? Secondary, secondary. What was it about them? Because obviously they they lit a fire in you. They believed me. In you.
0: They believed. uh, Mrs. Simons believed, because I always wanted to be a geologist. Yeah. So she locked in on me from the word go from year seven and found me um, work in a coal in year 10. We did actual work placement. um, So she found work for me in in a coal laboratory in the middle of Melbourne in year 10. But she locked in on me and took me out on field trips and stuff like that. I got 96% in my <laughs> final exam for HSC for <laughs> earth science. I was really impressed with that. Um, Still and, room for improvement there, yeah, Susie. <laughs> yeah. Um, and um, yeah, Mrs. Um, Salberg was my netball. Oh, I love netball. Netball. Oh yeah.
2: Yeah right. I could jump. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah, love netball. So very very passionate
2: about nipple. I'm I'm keen to know more about your early years because I, I from my own research I know that you've you decided at a fairly young age mm. at about 8 that you wanted to be a geologist which is mm. I I'm, I'm guessing is probably not what most of your peers at the time would have chosen as their career path so uh, what it was that, um, that that made you fall in love with rocks as um. such a young kid. We need to take a break, though, so we'll get into yes. that uh, in just a few moments. Uh, this is Inspiring Stories, Susan Urbanak, our 2020 WA local hero as our special guest. This is WA's
1: Inspiring Stories here on 882 6PR. You're listening to another inspiring story brought to you by Barra and O'Day because the little things are everything. You're listening to another inspiring story brought to you by Barra and O'Day. Because the little things are everything.
2: Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. The 2020 WA local hero is our special guest, Susie Urbanack. Uh, You can add that to the Prime Minister's Prize for Excellence in Science Teaching in 2016. uh, Also inducted into the WA Women's Hall of Fame in 2018. So uh, quite a few uh, accolades to uh, Susie Urbanack's name. Susie, can you tell me Urbanack... U-R-B-A-N-I-A-K. I don't know how many times you've had to spell that out to people. A number the of times. course of your life. Quite yes. a few, I imagine.
0: It's urban, like suburban, I-A-K at the end.
2: That's a good way. I'm <laughs> sure that's not the first time you've <laughs> yes. explained it that way. Uh, Polish? Yes. 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 Okay. Um, so, obviously, family ties to Poland. Yep. How did how your Polish ancestors come to be here in Australia?
0: Okay. So I'm very proud, first generation Australian. So my um, it was all got to do with World War Two. Yep. Um, my grandparents on both sides were um, forced labour. The Gestapo or SS um, picked them up because they were all teenagers, fourteen through to seventeen. So rounded up for Rounded for labor up camps. forced labour camps in Germany. Yep. And so, and, on my, and what
2: what year would that have been?
0: Um, that was forty two. Right, forty one or forty two. Um, yep. my grandparents talked very little of mm. it, so we don't know very much information. yeah. They didn't they didn't disclose much at all, and when asked, um, yeah, they didn't want to talk about no. it. no. So um, so on the maternal side, my grandparents met at the because after liberation, mm-hmm. after the Americans came through and liberated the camp, um, they were. Put into like refugee, displaced persons camps, and my grandmother met my grandfather there. Is that um, right? Yeah, I think, I think. Right. That's how, the, how they met. <laughs> that's how the story goes. Yeah, and um, so they didn't want to go back to Poland, so they were out on the second ship to Australia, um, the Fair Sea or the Fair Star, I can't remember, and so they through via Naples. So they came the second ship in 1949, so right. not too long after yep. the, after World War Two, And so they landed in Fremantle. They thought, no, nah, they'll go on to <laughs> Melbourne. <laughs> and so, yeah. What was that, wrong with Fremantle? Oh, I don't know. In
2: 1949, <laughs> a little bit quiet for them.
0: Uh, maybe it was too hot, I don't know. No, yeah. it was October, I think, 49. Yeah. I wasn't too sure. Um, but I think a lot of their friends that they met in this displaced yep. persons camp, also wanted to move on to Melbourne. So but I find it ironic that now I consider myself- Now you're back a, here. Yeah, I'm a, a sand groper. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I've lived here. This will be my 32nd year in WA.
2: So when they landed in Melbourne then, did they uh, become part of a strong- Polish Polish community, Polish community yeah. there? Yeah. Yes.
0: Yeah. Uh, they, they did from what I understand. So yeah. But they were separated. So yeah. they landed in Melbourne. They were taken to a, I don't, a camp in Bonnegilla. And then my grandfather had to work in the railways in Broadmeadows, and my grandmother had to work in a factory in Richmond. But my great-grandmother and my mother were taken to another camp in New South Wales. I think it was Cowra. Right. So they had to basically pay two years for their passage. So they were separated for those two years while um, my grandparents paid off the passage yep. for my great-grandmother. And that. And then yep. they, they they got back together in, in Kensington.
2: Yeah. So you grew up in a in a Polish speaking yeah I didn't a, I didn't speak youngster. yeah
0: yeah I didn't speak English until I went to primary school yeah <laughs>
2: so I you was, so you've turned up first day at school knowing totally, very little English exactly what was that like
0: I think I was ostracised yeah. yeah there was a bit of bullying going on I was pretty I remember that I was ostracised were you. Ostracized.
2: Were you one of the only ones then who, yeah, came um from there that was a background? lot of
0: um where where we were from, Avondale Heights, there was a lot of Italians, yeah, um, and obviously a lot of Anglo-Saxon mm. English. so yeah there wasn't anyone else from um, any Slavic background that went to my primary school that I, I can remember yeah.
2: I bet you picked up English pretty quickly, though.
0: Yeah, but I uh, suffered um I think, in a lot of ways because English was my oh, was my bugbear if you failed English, that was it. Your life was over back then. And so for up until the end of year 12, that was something I stressed a lot about. And I still do to this day. Yeah. I I still can't write properly.
2: How's your Polish?
0: Actually, um, went back to Poland, just got back the other day. Um, well, I didn't go back to Poland. I went to Poland for the first time. Yeah. Um, this last week and I surprised myself. Yeah. I got into the first taxi and I started speaking, um, because I haven't really used Polish because yep. I've got no one to speak it with. But actually I surprised myself in, mm. in how I managed to create conversation and the people told me that my Polish was good.
2: Yeah. You, you still feel a, a strong pull to Poland and a strong connection to it?
0: Um, I'm satisfied now. Yeah. Um, I, I I needed to go and just experience what the, the heritage was all about. And um, not so much in Warsaw, but when I went down towards Krakow and around that mm. area and um, – yes I also went into the old salt mine which is the UNESCO i think i pronounced it right um salt mine um i definitely felt a strong connection there um so maybe the the geology heritage and yeah. maybe it all comes from that from down south there where there are a number of mines um, yeah so yeah
2: so i i'm just trying to i suppose get a bit of context here and how someone you know who grows up in a in a Polish community, in a Polish household, eating Polish food, suddenly lands at school without a word of English. Um, and then by the age of eight, you've obviously fallen in love with rocks and yes. decided, yes, I want to be a geologist. Yeah. Uh, I um, suppose it does all kind of fit a, a, a picture. Did you? No, Rocks I were no, your friends yeah, yeah, in those early friends. years.
0: Yeah, no, it's um, when my parents built their house is, um, it was a basalt flow. Right. And there were um, little cavities with white crystals, zeolites. And I didn't know that, that was zeolites at the time, but that was a fascination for me. And my father was right into water skiing and camping. And so where we went, um, Lake Burrumbeat, which is about an hour, oh, it's two hours, just out of Ballarat. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was a volcanic crater. Mm. And so I remember walking along the, the edge and picking up little bits of quartz and stuff like that. And that was the beginning of my fascination of rocks and volcanoes. Yeah. And I just I just loved nature. Yeah. I just love the earth. Yeah. Everything about it. And um, you know, it fascinated me on that drive from Melbourne to Ballarat, in the road cuttings. Mm. That all fascinated me, you know, the colours mm. um, which I now know is that they were unconformities <laughs> at mm. the time. Um, and so that all fascinated me. And driving between Melbourne and I had aunties and living in Mount Macedon, and along there there was little cinder cones, scoria cones. So <laughs> driving along the Calder Highway uh, because I was observant.
2: I'm just pretending I know what you're talking
0: about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <So> I was <laughs> observant. So, you know, these, these red things that um, scoria um, – just popping out along the highway, it fascinated me. Yeah. So and I found out, I did my research. My parents had a butcher shop in St. Albans. Mm-hmm. And next door was a newsagent's. And 89 cents, i will go next door and buy these little science books.
2: Right. So while everyone else is, is buying comic books or, you know, when they, if they have to go to the library, they're looking for something mm-hmm. fun, you're probably trying to dig out anything box to do about with earth. the earth and rocks. Yeah,
0: and- rocks, minerals. I, I remember oceanography. I remember trees and flowers. Yeah. Anything to do with the earth. Yeah. Um, I um, bought those books whenever I went to the shop. I'd go mm. next door for 89 cents and bought the book and then put the stickers in.
1: Yeah.
0: The right pages.
2: <laughs> of course. Yeah. So you carried that that dream all through high school mm-hmm. and then you find yourself um, at ANU. Yes. Uh, studying. Yes. Um, then, of course, you've decided I'm going to make the, the change. I'm going to head to Telfer. Yes. What yes. did you know about Telfer? Uh, uh, that it was a gold mine. Yeah.
0: And it was in great sandy desert of Western Australia and I've always had this desire to be an explorer too. So yeah. go to fascinating places. I had no inhibitions about yeah. as a twenty one year old going into into faraway places and yeah. just exploring this wonderful continent, you know. Um,
2: what did your mum and dad make of that?
0: I don't know. I think that I don't know. Just accepted it. You just accepted it. Yeah. I, I suppose they came from
2: a faraway place, didn't they? So Yeah. Yeah, um, I
0: think they just accepted it, and I just well, I wasn't going to stop anyway. Yeah, um, I, I was, I just wanted to explore and and do something different and yeah. challenge challenge the norm. Yeah, I suppose. What know? what
2: is it about being a geologist? Firstly, you know,
0: It's problem. I think, solving. I think
2: people have a, have a broad <laughs> understanding of, of of what a geologist is, but day yeah. to day, when you land in Telfer, what are you actually doing?
0: Well, it's about as I said, it's, it's it's problem solving, but at the same time, it's the rawest of science and. And you have to use your observations to actually create that picture. So it's very, very creative. Mm. And this and this is what science is. Science is about being a creative soul. Taking all those facts and absorbing them from around you and putting them together to tell a story. Yep. And that story for us as geologists was well, where's the next where do we find more gold and how do we put that story together to then create a budget, to then drill it, to then prove that hypothesis correct or non correct. Mm. but that hypothesis will then lead you because then it's a yes or no situation. And it, it, it's that, for me, it wasn't a drill and a rush. You know? mm. like, it was nothing better than um going back to the drill rig and waiting for where, where you anticipated or where you proposed where the goal was going to be and just sitting there, sitting there, sitting there and waiting for the return and it goes black and you think, yes, hit it.
2: I can see the vein in your neck starting to bulge. Yeah. it's obviously it's, it happened a few it, it's times. It's an so it adrenaline rush for oh, you. Oh yeah, it was yeah.
0: like <laughs> it was because you you go out there, you you take those observations, you record the data, yeah, and then you go back to the office and you start to you know manipulate that data and create that picture. And I often would you know put myself into the ground, like I'm doing it now here. Like I would stand amongst the sand dunes and the spin effects and I'd stand and I'd put myself into the ground and visualise what I I, I thought was was the scenario and then put that all together, put together in a budget, get a few drill rigs happening and um, then just logging, you know. Um,
2: So you had a a few good finds along the way? mm, Yeah. mm. Yeah.
0: And a few years ago I was actually contacted by uh, a young geologist who was very entrepreneurial and wanted to – Start his own company and picked up some leases that I worked on in the late nineteen or early nineteen nineties around the Telford area, and he yeah, bought me a few coffees and I, I bet he did. Yeah, <laughs> we <laughs> like had a the few best session. investment he ever makes. Yeah, we had a few <laughs> sessions, and he said, "Well, tell me more, tell me more." I read your I read your work from the mines department because you know, he had to put yeah. together the stuff, and and yeah, I, I sort of just gave him a few ideas. I think. I'm not too sure what happened after that, mm. but um, it did was Did you say, good. I want a cut of whatever you thought? Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: yeah. yeah. Um, no, I think I, what I said to him is I'd love to come back. If you go out there, yeah. I'd love to go back out and um, be there and just just work with you mm. and um, show you what I did and how I did it. Yeah. Um, oh, I suppose that's the mentoring and the yeah, coaching absolutely. coming back into yeah. me. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, it's just, just fascinating because, and that's what STEM's about. STEM's yeah. about being that creative person. STEM's about being that um, having the confidence in the observations, and I say to my students, love the data and let the data tell the story. Don't try and force the data to be something that you perceive to be correct. That's not. Mm. That's not. That's not science. It's about science is about having that confidence to actually take those observations, take those measurements, and see what they tell you, not what you think they should tell you. Yeah, and which is, is something
2: that is. Just completely lost and corrupted in the modern discourse, isn't it? But we could go on about that for hours. Yes, we <laughs> Separately. Yeah. We do need to take a break. I want to ask you about then, um, after the break, circumstances in, in Telfer then that I suppose set you on the path to getting into the classroom. Yep. Yeah, that's okay. another story in itself. That's this is Inspiring story. Stories. Susie Urbanack is our special guest, 882 6PR, back with more soon.
1: You're listening to another inspiring story brought to you by Barra and O'Day because the little things are everything. You're listening to another inspiring story brought to you by Barra and O'Day because the little things are everything.
2: Welcome back to WA's Inspiring Stories. Everyone has a story to tell. This one brought to you by Bower and O'Day. And we're hearing the story of Susie Urbanac, 2020 WA local hero. Uh, So, Susie, it's early days in your geology career. You've graduated from ANU. You find yourself in Telfer. You're looking for gold. Everything seems to be going quite well there. You've made some good discoveries along the way there. Tell us what was going on then in your family life at the time Um, because there's a story in itself there too, isn't there?
0: Yeah, so then we went to, I married and went to Kalgoorlie and I started working in Kalgoorlie and I was getting towards 30 and I thought, well, I've got to start a family now because I'd always, I wanted a family. And so, um, but being in part of the first wave of a lot of women in the very stereotypical mining industry at that stage. The family and career scenario were really quite polarised. So I knew I had to... Being in Kalgoorlie was good because, you know, you you live residentially and you could sort of have that opportunity. So um, I had my first son and I sort of negotiated with the company I was working with. No one liked doing annual technical reports. So Mm. I thought, well, I could... Just do that part-time on a contractual basis. But I wasn't allowed that opportunity. That flexibility wasn't there. And that really stunned me because I did start and the powers to be in Melbourne said no. Right. She either has to come back full-time because Adrian, I think, was only about four or five months. Come back full-time, which meant, you know, the six-day week. Um, you know, 10 to 12 hours a day, and well, which wasn't... Tough with a yeah, baby on your own. Yeah, yep. which wasn't... But the, I thought, well, the flexible, you know, doing the annual technical reports, which everyone hates doing, <laughs> you know, I can manage that. Yeah. Um, but that wasn't allowed. So I either had to resign or come back full time. And um, at that stage, I think my mat leave was coming to an end. And so I had to resign. And so I thought, well, you know, Adrian's not going to be a single child. So I had um, the twins... So I had three in 14 months.
2: had three three little ones in 14 Mm, months. Yeah. Wow.
0: And then the marriage fell apart five months later. Right. And that, uh, yeah, that was a real, that was, I call it a mass extinction event. Mass (laughs) extinction events are good though because mass extinction. It's a reset, isn't it? It's a reset. And although the reset is very difficult initially Mm. and you have to manage a lot of things, um, it, you know, with after um, a mass extinction event, you have diversification, you have mm. radiation lines come out, you have to capitalize on the ecosystem that's available to you. And uh, I, I, I had to do that. You know, basically in one day I lost my financial security, my career, my marriage, um, was all gone the way I knew life was. And it took me about six to seven years for that reset to, yeah. to occur. And I got to, I think it was September, 2002. I called it the well syndrome up until that point. Um, every time I sort of got out of the well, something else came along and, and sort of pushed me back down that well. And that that's, that's the theory of um, my life is like a share curve theory, you know, <laughs> up and down, up and down, but overall. But generally heading in the, the in northerly a, direction. Yeah. You yeah. know, it's a positive line of mm. um, regression, I called it. And, um. And I just thought, well, how am I going to support the kids and what am I going to
2: do? So how did you even hang on for five, six years? As I know this is obviously what steered you towards the classroom.
0: But
2: mm-hmm. um, It was tough. Were you able to work at all when you had
0: yeah um, three
2: tiny little kids there running around?
0: I did some um, contract work with yeah. a small company called Unimin. Um, yeah, so I managed that and I did just I'd sort of jobs here and there. I put the boys in daycare every now and then and just did some odd, odd jobs here and there. Um, but nothing that was concrete, nothing that was, uh, you know, career wise. And I was really struggling with that. Mm-hmm. I really was struggling with, um, not being able to fulfill that, that intellectual, that career drive mm. really, really, really hard. And at the time I wondered why wasn't the government helping, you know, mm women like us or, or parents like us that, you know, we're actually struggling to, um, the system isn't what it was like, isn't what it was like in, back in the 1990s. And I didn't understand how I, you know, a geologist, uh, a STEM woman at that stage wasn't given some sort of flexibility or, 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 or direction. Mm. There was just no direction. I walked the terrace, trying to find work, um, even colouring in, which was colouring in maps. I was was prepared to do anything, Mm. but it it didn't happen. So I I needed something to actually do that. So education was not on the radar. So the only thing I could do to support my kids and be there from 8.30 to 3.30 or pre-8.30 to after 3.30 was education. So I had no choice.
2: So it was literally just a, a... Circumstances survival. and and survival and survival. An, just, an absolute need to work and
0: need to work and put need a roof to feel yeah, yep. yeah. And to also, you know, fulfill I felt. So did you
2: worthless. go in, did you go into, into the classroom into teaching then with some reluctance? No, were you, I, I, were you I just happy swore. when you stumbled upon that decision no. or made that decision.
0: No, well it was a decision that had to be made. Yeah. But I swore I'd never be without a job
2: again. Yeah.
0: Or or without a career. Again, yeah. because it was just horrible, horrible Um, having to be that mm. person that struggled with all that. Yeah.
2: What was your first day in the classroom like as a teacher? Because I've got so many teachers in my family. And so, you know, by extension of them, a lot of their friends, they often reminisce about the first day. You know, usually it's when they're on a prac or something. Mm. And it's absolutely terrifying. That first moment when you're standing no. in front of the kids that you know, you, you feel like... No. It's only a matter of time before someone throws a chair at you or something. I didn't actually. <laughs> like it's terrifying. What was yours like?
0: No, I, no, I just just walked in and off I went. Yeah. I can't recall any any fear. I can't recall um, any of that. Yeah. It was. It was. I guess I was in survival mode. Yeah. It just had to be done. And, and at what I was point did you it, start to love it? I just had to give it my best shot. Um. I don't know honestly. Yeah. I don't know. But what I did know was that there was no way that my, you know, because when I went back and did my practice and all that, I just thought nothing's changed Yeah, from when I was at school. And this is not science. <laughs> mm. And I just, that's when I started um, really developing my teaching learning philosophy, mm. which is now what we call the core learning philosophy. Um, I bought the my industry practices as a geologist into the classroom and I was going to take the kids out and there's no mm. way my students were going to work out of textbooks and worksheets and do chocolate cake recipes. How did that go
2: down with, um, you know, with, with the school itself? Because obviously managed. they still have rules and that yeah. there's all these measurements that they have to, to yeah. live by, you know, and there's obviously Napland these days <laughs> and, you know, yeah. th- their reputations... Seem to live and die on, you know, what the what the scores look like at the end, and how they rank against other schools. So how did you how did you get away with that?
0: Well, I still, yeah, you know, I still had to address that yeah. aspect, the the test aspect, which I yeah. I, I hate, <laughs> I hate because that definitely does not showcase what you actually see in the classroom every day, yeah, um, of what the students are truly capable of. I still had to do that, but you know, you you had. I manipulated my teaching learning styles to, um, meet the needs of the kids and by still doing that. So it was a matter of integration and, um, and I also didn't have fear. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't fear that Mm. because I knew what life was like on the, on Mm. the outside world. You know, I was an industry person that came. Into the so-called classroom, so I didn't have that fear because I knew these kids would be alright. You knew so. what you
2: should have been preparing those kids for. Yep. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I yep. I understood that. You know, I didn't know it was STEM or STEM. The STEM acronym didn't happen then, but I was stemming well before STEM yeah. became a well-known acronym. Yep. And um, because these kids were in, in the real classroom, they were yep. being delivered the, the real the real world. So oh, I was all about them and their confidences and their capabilities. That's what was foremost yeah. at the forefront. And they were doing science and they were doing engineering. They were problem solving. They were being creative and mm. um, and through inquiry and discovery, mm. um, learning practices. So I still manage that, to do that. And a lot of my students, you know, did did, did quite well. But as the years went on, I realised that, the system wasn't complementing the greatness mm. of um, what my kids were actually producing. They were producing unique pieces of work that uh, university standard that, um, university lecturers have actually acknowledged that. And so I just felt it's so unfair. Mm. These kids were producing these amazing field trip reports, investigation reports, and that, that, that had no weight in their overall mm. end result.
2: Yeah.
0: And no that work they produce is a reflection of who and what they are and their capabilities yeah. and not the exam, a three-hour exam that, you know, if you want to examine the earth, it's not about writing two or three concepts on a piece of paper. Mm. And I got to the point, um, I know that some of my students, which is science, science isn't just chemistry or just biology or just geology or whatever. It's that integration. And You know, my kids were, um, or my students, sorry, were explaining an all resource using their chemistry physics and biology yeah which according probably you know, to the to the marking key I refuse to be a marker <laughs> because I, I just I couldn't deal I can, with
2: I can imagine
0: <laughs> I, I I couldn't deal with the 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 black and whiteness of it yeah all, when when in fact when you are a scientist you've got to have faith and confidence in what you see yeah and um, let that, as I said earlier, let that actually dictate mm. how you're going to evolve yep. um, the scenario.
2: I want to ask you more about this. Uh, we need to, to take a break, but just before we do, uh, NAP plan, yes or no? Should it, mm. be, should it be with us or should it be abolished?
0: No. I'm, no.
2: No, it shouldn't be abolished? No,
0: yes. Y- <laughs> yes,
2: yes, Yes. it should be abolished. Yes,
0: I, I, yeah. yeah. I, I think there's different ways that yep. you're the, – the, Kids can actually demonstrate what yeah. they're truly good at, and yeah. I get, i dare say that—that's where our, its initial idea was, I suppose, to just gauge where we're going. But yeah. it's not.
2: No, those kids not go in there reflection. and they just
0: go dun 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 dun. Yep. Yeah. All well, the ones that told me that's what they did, mm. yeah. and so it's—it's um, it's an unnecessary. Yeah. It's not learning.
2: No.
0: Got to give faith to the educator. The educator. Yeah of that class, of that like, oh, car, who knows their kids.
2: Yeah. Yeah. We'll get into that more after the break. This is Inspiring Stories. Susie Urbanack is our special
1: guest at 6PR. Back with more soon. You're listening to another inspiring story brought to you by Barra and O'Day. Because the little things are everything. You're listening to another inspiring story brought to you by Barra and O'Day, because the little things are everything.
2: Welcome back to WA's Inspiring Stories. Tim McMillan is my name. My special guest is Susie Urbanack, the 2020 WA local hero uh, and a champion of uh, science and education uh, and mentoring and preparing kids uh, through their education uh, for what goes on in the real world. Um, Susie, are you a bit of a renegade within the teaching community or do you think there's a, a... a, a large and expanding group of your fellow educators who all feel the same,
0: yes, uh, that they're definitely. being let
2: down by yep. government, by whatever it is.
0: Yeah, no, there's de- there's definitely uh, a lot of us out there that um, can see or being frustrated by it all and yep. can see the the real positive and the calibre that these kids actually have and, um, you know, it doesn't necessarily come through in that system. Yeah. A lot of it's geared to the top ten percent, I think, with the yeah. with the um, exams and stuff. Um, whereas these those so-called B, C, and D kids, they're our entrepreneurs. They're our you know they're, they're they're quality individuals who think outside the box, who can actually put together scenarios, who can problem solve, and we're going into a world where we're actually requiring that. You know, we're going to AI is going to become yeah important, and you know. Our, our our students of the future need to be work with these these machines these yep. robots to make well-informed decisions and informed decisions and quick decisions come yep. from confidence yeah and our kids that are that are these that have these variety of other capabilities are actually those that are suited to yep. to doing that and so we need and so there's a number of teachers that feel exactly the same way as i do
2: hard to find a better example of that than right here in, in wi i think i mean uh, we, we constantly hear from from mining executives who talk about the lack of graduates yep. from WA to go mm. into these roles, whether it's in you know AI or robotics yep. or that various forms changed. of engineering to go into a sector that we have built our yes. economy on here. So clearly they're not being inspired in their schooling days to follow that. Career path, which which is quite extraordinary, given that it's such a cornerstone of our
0: our economy, our economy and our culture yeah, here I mean, look, in WA. As a twenty one year old, when I went to Telfer, I thought, "Where's all the homegrown talent?" And yeah. So this has been. But this is push. it's, it's 20, yeah.
2: 2020, It's the same. Yes, same and problem. it's still
0: frustrating me how yes, it's 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 not actually happening, and it's not exciting the kids to actually. I don't I don't get it yeah. myself, um, but I think that comes through. It has to start at primary school, and this yep. is how the core learning model is actually developing that it's creating that awareness it's creating their awareness of science and engineering out in their real world they have yeah. to be immersed in their in their real world to then take it out how their talents and capabilities will align with prospective career pathways and this is this is what we're doing and this is what you know the the, the philosophy started with and and the graduates are actually happening. So um, it's where their learning aligns with their capabilities and then they can see how that's going to be a future pathway. So when you immerse them in in careers, the diversity of careers that are within the resources industry, and that's not, that's energy as well as minerals yeah. and metals, um, and water, but, yeah. you know, I'm not missing out on water, um, and they can see how that, that's going to um, advance themselves individually as people beyond their secondary education, it makes a difference. Yeah. It makes a huge Mm. difference when they can see how their science applies to them in their daily life and to their careers. Yeah. And this is the core learning model is exposing them to that. It's not about saying, oh, we need more women in STEM. You know, the STEM word is now becoming elitist. Yeah. And so unless our students are confident in themselves and who and what they are, they're not going to – tackle that, if they don't have the mentors showing them that this is the way it is, or they don't have role models that have actually experienced it, mm. you know, it takes a bit bit more courage to actually do that. And so, it, it you know, learning starts with those social and emotional skills, and then the STEM will happen.
2: Yep. So it's the STEM's attracting still the
0: 10%, yep. that were traditionally the 10%, but yep. we need the 80 to 90%. We need the variety and um, we need that multicultural approach. And, yeah. you know, and so we've, you know, I, I have to put um, with core, we, we, it, it's happened. Mm. We've actually got the, the points on the board mm. with, um, with that. It's been 15 years in, mm. in the development, but it has to start that way. And mm. this is what the new the way of learning has to be. And that's the diversity to account for, the diversity of kids and their capabilities.
2: So you you spent, uh, you know, chunks of your life uh, devoted to different things. You've been a a, a geoscientist, then many years in the classroom, 14 years in the classroom, just at uh, uh, at Kent Street uh, Senior High School. The next phase of your life, as you look ahead, if you're one of those people that likes to sort of Plan out and have goals uh, to work towards in the future. What's, yeah, well, it's making, what's the next phase of your life going to look like?
0: Well, it's part of the Core Learning Foundation now. I started a not for profit with some yep. amazing people. Um, and to make sure that um, the Core Learning Model, a uh, contemporary learning model, is implemented at other, other schools so that um, we can get that pipeline, that homegrown pipeline, to serve our industry and to get kids understanding the beauty of science, the wonderment of science, the and to show them how it applies in their daily life. And mm. yeah, as I said earlier, it, it does work. It yeah. does work. And so I guess entrepreneurial, I suppose, and yeah. um, taking it from WA across Australia, hopefully within the next five to 10 years.
2: Yeah. It's no small mountain you've chosen to climb here. So, but oh, if let's... anyone can do it, Susie, <laughs> <laughs> you can. It's been fascinating hearing your thoughts and, and hearing your story. Thank you so much for sharing it with us.
0: It's been a wonderful morning. Thank uh,
2: you. This is uh, Susie urbanak uh, 2020 WA Local Hero, and our special guest here on 882 6 br uh, on this edition of Inspiring Stories, brought to you by Bower and O'Day. Don't miss out on the little moments because the little things Uh, everything. We look forward to you joining us again next time as we
1: unearth another WA inspiring story. You're listening to another inspiring story brought to you by Barra and O'Day because the little things are everything. When making the double chicken deluxe at Macca's, we wanted to improve on the perfect combo of tender Aussie chicken with cheese, tomato and aioli. So we doubled it. Chicken and Macca's together and loving it